Hey everyone, this is Joe. Um, I'm editing right now and I realized I downloaded a new voice mod and it kind of like fucked up my voice for like the entire episode. So rather than re-recording the whole thing, um, we're going to give it to you raw how it is. Sorry about that, uh, but we promise that we will figure it out and fix it next time. Enjoy the episode. Welcome into episode 9 of Legal Fiction. I'm your host, Joe, joined by my co-host, Spencer. We are back again for another week. Spencer, how has your last couple of weeks been? Oh, man, yeehaw. It's been fucking great. <laughs> uh, went to a wedding uh, the other day. I'm still kind of uh, gimped up from my knee injury. And I discovered that, uh, well, A, I discovered that I actually like dancing at weddings, which is <laughs> a surprise. You discovered uh, this once you had your bum knee? Yeah, because it turns out like I always end up dancing and I always end up like kind of having a good time doing it. And so I found myself in this weird middle place, this weird like, uh, what's the word you Catholics have? That stupid place where people wait around a lot. Purgatory. Yeah. Hell. No, 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 no. No, no, I was in this like strange purgatory of, well, I'm not the young people on the dance floor making a ruckus because like, well, my knee's really fucked up. I just need to sit down, but I'm not also the older, like 40, 45 plus people all sitting on the outside of the dance floor, just having a drink and making pleasant conversation and kind of idly checking out the younger tail on the floor. Uh, I'm just sort of like in between. It was just a kind of a, haunting glimpse at my future of weddings to come so uh yeah so it was really fun nice nice uh, i mean for me i didn't really do much these last couple weekends i'm moving so that's about it um just been packing if this was a video podcast you'd be able to see that i'm i i, I might die from like a box collapse and not be found for a couple weeks <laughs> Uh, uh, surely Gordo would alert the authorities unless, or <laughs> he, he just, would just, he would just eat you possibly. Yeah. That's my dog for people that don't know. He just eat me. Um, I don't blame him. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, in terms of the most recent news going on, um, we are recording this, uh, the week that this episode comes out. So, I think I saw most recently state of Louisiana is, which is like COVID central, basically I just had to put in a new mask order and I'm seeing other cities are starting to have it do that. Um, Hmm. But don't worry, we can trust people to do the right thing. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Funny, funny how that works out. Funny how that works out though, as a, you know, I really don't consider Louisiana to be in our Midwestern flyover demographic. (laughs) Like people, from across the country make a point of going to Louisiana at some point. Granted, it's only True. New Orleans. True. But uh, yeah, for that reason, I've got to stand for my uh, Ozark region, so southwest Missouri, northwest Arkansas, as being the true hotspot of shit being fucked up. They just have even less effective governance than Louisiana, which is, <laughs> which is saying yeah. something. I did see a, an interesting story that in order for any New Orleans deputies to carry out eviction orders, they have to get uh, vaccinated first. They have to show well, proof of vaccination. Hey, I'm glad we got our priorities in order. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, and, and that that goes into kind of the other big thing that's happening right now. As we're recording this, the eviction order has expired, and the DNC is playing the classic old line of them. Don't look at me. It's not like it's my job or anything to handle that. Like you see, like the president being like, uh, "Senate should do something," and you see Senate saying, "Well." the president should do something. And then you even see Nancy Pelosi saying, why didn't the CDC do anything? I'm like, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's weird because the Democrats have the presidency and thus all the executive branches. Uh, they have the House and- uh, And the Senate. And the Senate, huh? Huh, yeah. I mean, it's almost like either Democrats are ineffective or- <laughs> maybe the way our government like just structurally from a constitutional like just like in terms of like the bones of a building uh just uh is literally designed to prevent any meaningful progress or change or any this means you must vote blue in 2022 yes uh to stem the the midterm house seat like losses that the democrats are just gonna bleed out like it's gonna be bad <laughs> it's gonna uh, be real bad real it's gonna be bad you know what it once election season heats up next fall uh it's gonna be really fun to watch republicans uh spin like the still ongoing pandemic into it's the democrats fault which you know what? There'll be some merit there. It'll be the most bad faith like argument oh, ever yeah. put forward. But there's like some basis for it being like, well, yeah, you had a two you, you had a mandate to take power and you had two years to do it and you just couldn't do it. So why was that? Well, the Republicans and their supporters wouldn't wouldn't work I mean, with us and like, well, I don't know, like just I mean, like I'm not sure if you out. saw the one tweet that was like one of the strategies there the DNC is proposing is blaming the Republicans for wanting to defund the police. I'm like, you couldn't have come up with a more losing strategy, like in a writer's room. Like that's mm -hmm. the worst strategy I have ever heard. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's almost like this cultural politics doesn't really submit to reason or gotcha or, Oh, <laughs> Oh, but your your elected congressman, they wouldn't vote for a committee to further investigate the January 6th uprising, which uh, led to injuries and ultimately deaths for a number of Capitol Police. So you're anti-police. And then, you know, just, you know, the rest of Red America just makes a wank motion and goes on, cleans their gun, you know? <sighs> so... Yeah, moving on to some some more lighthearted topics. Uh, Please, girl, girl boss energy is just really here to stay. Uh, little update to uh, our past story about Stephen Dorff being king. Uh, we also now saw that maybe ScarJo should have listened to him because she is now suing Disney uh, because for contract breach, saying essentially that by them releasing it on streaming while it was also in theaters. Uh, cheated her out of a ton of profits at the same time we we're also seeing uh emily blunt and emily stone have reported they're considering legal action for the same thing with uh Cruella and jungle cruise uh although the rock has come out and said i'm fine i i'm, I'm like yeah dude you have like a multi-picture multi-million deal i'm sure you're fine i'm sure you're not gonna sue them 
Yeah. Well, it, to be fair, uh, I, I'm sure The Rock probably got paid a little bit more than Emily Blunt did for that that vehicle. Uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really it's going to be a fun, interesting legal drama to watch unfold. I'm certain that it'll end up being settled, and we'll never know oh, here in the sure. public. For in the sure. public, in the public, we're never going to know. You know what pound of flesh Disney is going to pay out on, on these things just to make them go away. And believe me, they've got the deep pockets to do it, but <laughs> if there's and, any company that can't afford this, it's Disney. But what I do love about watching this unfurl is just the posturing all the sides are taking on it. It's, oh, it's Disney's response was oh. just chef's kiss. Just like, how dare she bring this lawsuit in the middle of a pandemic where people can't go to the movies. I'm like, says the fucking company that was lobbying to keep their parks open in the middle of the pandemic, like the height of spread. I'm like, oh, that's such a beautiful response. Hey, that was just about keeping imaginary team members uh, employed, sir. So you, you bite your tongue. But no, so like- that's no, about uh, keeping Disney adults happy and that's the even worse part. Uh, you know, as an aspiring Disney adult- uh, We might end the podcast <laughs> Oh come on, man! Epcot's awesome. Get over yourself. Let's uh, let's go on Space Mountain four or five times in a day. It'll be fun. Uh, no, uh, let's fast. So, like, okay, so Starjo, you know, she had an agreement with Disney whereby she was guaranteed a certain percentage of revenue from profits, quote unquote, from the movie in its quote unquote theatrical release. Okay. It's first week uh, in theaters, Black Widow pulled in like 80 million bucks. I mean, it was by far the biggest like pandemic era one week box office gross that we've seen yet. Uh, the second week, it was only like 20 million, which is, you know, by traditional standards, yeah, it's pretty bad for a blockbuster, but it's also a fucking pandemic, post pandemic, whatever weird state we're in. The issue is, though, that Disney also offered up this film available for streaming on, you know, Disney Plus or Disney, whatever the hell it's called, uh, for $30 a rental. Or, you know, like you could pay $30 to stream Black Widow on your home TV. On top TV. of your Disney Plus membership that you already yeah. have to buy. Yeah, yeah, there should have been a fucking pre, there should have been a rebate on that. But, uh, and that sold like, you know, like, I think it was like, 40 some maybe more million like a lot of people just opted in uh and i guess you know and i haven't even been able to see the filings uh because lovely legal news media as you'll discover never sucks oh they don't even include a copy of the lawsuit in their stories uh, and i'm not about to go spend money or time to find that on the federal pacer network i'm not gonna do that like i mean any well okay that, that's some inside baseball bullshit point being you know her lawyers are saying you didn't give us a true theatrical release and i anticipate that the disney lawyers are going to be like what are you talking about it was in theaters across the country it got a theatrical release we also tried to juice it up by offering in-home options for people not comfortable guess what it's a pandemic and you know what you you it's unfortunate but uh you know as fate would have it uh you picked the wrong time to be the lead star in, and take a two or four percent profit sharing agreement on this like maybe you should have just taken an up for a higher upfront salary you know like that's just that's what it comes down to and uh 
you know, I think both sides probably will end up having some interesting arguments. It'll be fun to play out. I mean, anything set in the, you know, pandemic era when it comes to like contract wise, just fascinating because there's so many more like, you know, contract law is normally pretty boring. Joe, I think you can agree with me on that. But <laughs> in this environment, though, there, it gives a lot more for folks to argue about. You know, like, well, what are you talking about? What did you expect us to do? We did the best we could. Uh, so those aren't necessarily winning arguments, but they at least make an obvious loss uh, worth fighting over. So, of course, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Like we said, uh, this thing will get settled out. Scarlet will get a slightly lesser sum than she feels she was entitled to. Emma Stone will write, her attorneys will write a very angry demand letter. She'll get paid off. Emily Blunt, likewise. And they'll keep making movies and Disney will keep generating profits. So everyone wins. So I'm happy with this. Yeah, that's how it ends. And that's disappointing because I really just want to see Disney burn for a little bit. Uh, but... Um... Uh... <laughs> Moving into some more entertaining news. Um, Joe, you're, uh, you've got your filter on. You're doing a funny voice again. That's weird. It just like switched without me pressing anything. Yeah, that was haunting. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope that stays in the recording. Because so. I, I, didn't, I didn't have it up on my screen. So I was just like, uh, yeah. I was like, what yeah. are you talking about? Uh, on the on the off chance that's in there, listener, uh, Joe made the dumbass decision to download a voice modulator app because dumb. he is... Come on. Okay, no, it's awesome, especially <laughs> since it's free, uh, because <laughs> he has aspirations to become the next Ghostface killer. And, uh, you know, he needs, uh, you know, plausible deniability whenever he's chasing, uh, you know, Sydney across the, you know, dreamscape that is... Uh, Oh shit! I can't think of the town all of a sudden and scream. I fail as a horror movie watcher. Uh, well, on even more horrifying notes, God's not dead is back. I am very certain that God does not exist because no God would allow these movies to keep being made. This is my personal hell. God's not dead. We the people released a trailer. That's part of your plan, isn't it? Keep us all divided so we don't realize that you're really chipping away at our freedoms and liberties. America is a country so blessed to whom much is given, much will be required. You see those statues and those monuments out there? They say you work for us. You are out of order, Mr. Hill. government of the people, by the people, for the people. Damn it. I hate the kind of people that make these movies so much. And, you know, call me triggered, whatever the fuck you want. I don't care because this shit pisses me off so much. And I'm looking at the cast. They got Janine Pirro playing one of the judges. Like, fucking come on, dude. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? Uh, her green room demands are going to be rough. <laughs> they were like, like, all right, so we need a daily box of white wine. Uh, we need 
um, where are we going to find the uh, fresh 12-year-old? Well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but on top of that, Isaiah Washington is in this movie. Like, pretty, like, had a lot of good roles, like, dude had had what that's have you true seen that's true recently? he he, he did kind of he like really screwed himself apparently on a lot of sets but listen I'm like, man ernie he's hudson had to fall hard that's true listen, ernie, hudson. ernie hudson our man ernie hudson he took a paycheck for god's not dead too uh you know like no one's above it like and okay. if and if but, you're vaguely christian like in your personal life as a hollywood actor you could totally justify this and yeah. And if anyone tries to look down their nose at you like we are right now, you can be <laughs> like, well, you know, I see you're just uh, judging me for my faith and doing good works. And you're like, oh, no, that's not it at all. This is actually shitty works. It's actually shitty works. <laughs> this stuff is just bad. You're attacking me for my beliefs. No, I'm attacking you because your stuff is shit. That's yeah, why I'm attacking yeah, you. Yeah. You know what? If you want to go be in fucking Passion of the Christ, like, Say what you will about Mel Gibson. It's a phenomenal movie and it's a wonderful achievement in cinematography. Like, go do it. Unfortunately, you're doing weird, like, essentially movies that are the equivalent of Facebook memes that your Aunt Karen <laughs> shares. Like, it's just awful. Yeah, and I'm also really disappointed to see William Forsyth is in this. Like, Halloween, The Devil's Rejects, Raising Arizona. Like, oh, God. Mm, teaser. <sighs> He was such a good actor that he was always a guy that you like to see. Now he's in God's Not Dead. All right. Well, moving Joe, on from Joe, that. Joe, Joe, here's our mission. Here's our mission. We need to score an interview with some of the production team from God's Not Dead, uh, you know, uh, to promote the film, invite them on to the pod to defend themselves. Essentially recreating every fucking scene in those fucking movies where a bunch of non-believing <laughs> leftist naysayers you know just you know condescend and uh you know essentially you know victimize them and put them in a corner and let them work their way out i think we should do this i'm gonna i'm it's gonna be an intervention like I, they're gonna come in i'll be like we're all here because we care about you you need to stop hurting people stop making these movies uh so Moving on to more entertainment news. Um, I saw, I think it was today or yesterday as of recording, uh, apparently Matt Damon just learned that you shouldn't use the F word for gay people. <laughs> I don't know uh, if you saw this story, <laughs> which I, I, yeah, like he, like it, it struck me as a very dad story. Cause he literally was like, I said it. My daughter got off a man. I was like, what? It's a joke. I say that in movies. And she wrote a whole, uh, treaties on it and he was like okay i swear it off i will never say that word again which like yes it's a very bad word but he's from boston like come on you're and he's also gonna act surprised i mean it, 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 that's not an excuse but it's at least a explanation yeah yeah he's from the he's from boston and he's also from the 90s yeah like yeah uh, people forget uh, people were dropping F-bombs gratuitously as far into movie into the Cineverse as like uh, The Hangover, okay? Like, this is not that old. Like, our prohibition against this this uh, slur, it, which, you know, is well justified, 
it doesn't date back that far. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not about to listen. Matt Damon's going to weather this storm just fine. Oh, yeah, uh, that'll be fine. Of course, you know, he may get some blowback by folks not going to see Stillwater, but let's be real. Most of those folks weren't going to go see that anyhow. Like, <laughs> true. Uh, speaking of movies releasing this Friday, uh, the, the Suicide Squad is going to release the second one. Apparently, it's really good. Apparently, it's gotten like really good reviews. Uh, and I'll, I'll probably actually consider going to see it because it's uh, what's his name? James Gunn. I think he's, he's got an interesting story. I do uh, enjoy some of his writing. I'm not going to run out the door to see it. What I am going to run out the door to see is The Green Knight that's released in my town. And yeah, that looks dope as hell. But... Yeah. Yeah. I did see some like tweets calling like, this is a great capitalization on the franchise and the IP. I'm like, it's like a 14th century poem. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with you calling it IP. <laughs> Yeah, I think Sir Gwen is in uh, the common uh, is in common domain at this point. I mean, shit, what's like next? Not, not everything is a franchise. <laughs> well, what's next? Like Seth Rogen uh, doing a like a really raunchy version of the Canterbury Tales. Like, oh no, <laughs> good lord, what's gonna happen? What about Chaucer's family's divvies? Oh, Christ! Uh, and then just as one little uh, quick shout out before we get into the meat of this episode. Just want to give a quick shout out to Bob Odenkirk. I heard that he is doing well and recovering. I just want to say, get better soon, King. Yeah, mild heart attack. That was scary shit. Uh, the thought of a world without Bob Odenkirk. Mm, no, don't care. Don't want to think about it. Yeah, don't don't care to see that world. So. All right, moving into the review of the week. So this week we are reviewing the first Coen Brothers film on the pod we are reviewing intolerable cruelty please sit relax consider this office your office now sir tell me your troubles well <laughs> come to papa come on now my wife has me between a rock and a hard place. That's her job. You should respect that. Sounds like to me, you gonna nail his When a marriage hits the skids. Honey, my key doesn't work. <laughs> Can we talk? And there's a fortune to protect. Miles Massey is the best there is. So you propose that in spite of demonstrable infidelity on your part, your unoffending wife should be tossed out on her ear. Is that possible? It's a challenge. Your Honor, I call Heinz the Baron Kraus von Espy. Now, a man who is used to winning. Did she specify what kind of a husband she was looking for? She said she wanted a very rich husband. Is about to lose his heart to a woman. Look at her, an athlete at the peak of her powers. Excuse me. Who is ready to bite back. I would be delighted. Honor, really, if you want. How? You named him after your ex. I'm sentimental. Friends, today, Miles Massey is here to tell you that love need cause us no fear. I assume you're a carnivore. Oh, Mr. Massey, you have no idea. Love need cause us no shame. Objection, Your Honor! Strangling the witness! I'm going to allow it. 
love is good. Marilyn, what a pleasant... <clears throat> Who the hell are you? Howard and I are planning to marry. Dump him. I could have you to spot for that. You fascinate me. Intolerable cruelty. Stars uh, George Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Like I mentioned, it is a Coen Brothers movie. It was written by both Joel and Ethan Coen, also co-directed by both of them. It uh, has a good list of stars, uh, like I've already mentioned the first two, but it also stars Jeffrey Rush, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, Paul Edelstein, Richard Jenkins, Billy Bob Thornton, uh, a lot of good people that I think you, these are, uh, most of them have a relationship with the Coens. Like you'll see them in like a one or two of their, of their movies. Mm -hmm. So jumping right into the movie, uh, we see Jeffrey Rush, who I, I messed up. I wrote my notes. I'm like, is that James Woods? Like okay, Sandra. I, I thought the same shit too. I was just like, oh, so James Woods is in this. That's, That's what I thought. I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, phew, it's Jeffrey Rush. Ooh, well, okay, no, 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 like I heard Jeffrey Rush like singing along to that damn Simon and Garfunkel song. I think it's the Boxer, which is an awesome way to open this movie. Like, oh uh, yeah, this like uh, just beautiful. And I was like, oh, it's Jeffrey Rush singing. And then I looked at him like, oh no, well that's James Woods. Like, there's no way Jeffrey Rush looks that sleazy. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's got like some Cohen sort of opening and dialogue, but it's really got that mid 2000s sheen where everything kind of has like a yellow or like orangish tone over the whole movie. Uh, where in the mid 2000s, if you made a lighthearted movie, this was this tone that you used. If you made a scary movie, you used blue or green. And then if you made a movie in Mexico, it was immediately sepia because that's just yeah. how Mexico is apparently. So, and for listener, if you're having a tough time coming up with a concrete like example of this, I point you no further than another George Clooney vehicle from the mid-aughts, the original Ocean's Eleven. Just yeah. think of that lighting scheme, how everything is shot. Like things are a little bit brighter than they need to be at times. And things look a little bit cooler than they really would. That's this lighting job. Yes. So uh, he finds his wife. I don't know if they, I think they've had sex, whatever, messing I around. I think they're about to. Messing around with an old boyfriend who's like a pool accessory salesman now. And he's like, we don't have a pool. So he shoots at them. Uh, she like stabs him with one of his trophies. It's a very, his you know. Daytime, his daytime <laughs> soap award uh, yes. with prongs, just like prongs him right in the butt. Uh, and he has the, and he has the, you know, after shooting at the vehicles driving away and then like cursing off a neighbor who just witnessed it, had the like, you know, strength of mind to take the take, take pictures of the puncture wounds in his ass, which, yeah. you know, that's a you know, bold. We then meet George Clooney, who's like a very slick, sleazy divorce lawyer. He speaks with the wife. Um, and uh bonnie is her name in the movie he speaks with her and basically just makes up the story for her on the spot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, your husband did show remarkable foresight in taking those pictures, and yes, absent a swimming pool, the presence of a pool man would appear to be suspicious. But madam, who is the real victim here? Let me suggest to you the following. Your husband, on a prior occasion, had slapped you, beat you. I think that word is not inappropriate. No, I... Let me finish, please. I'm not concerned with who slapped whom first. Your husband, who had beaten you repeatedly... No, please, he never... Repeatedly, was at the time brandishing your firearm. It was his gun. And we'll get it back for you, trying in his rage to shoot an acquaintance, a friend of long standing. They never really cared for each other. And if not for your cool-headed intervention, his tantrum might have ended this schmo's life and ruined his own. As for the sexual indiscretion which he imagined took place, wasn't it in fact he who was sleeping with the pool man? No? Am I going too far here? Where is sexual? No. I don't. Sorry, I'm not omniscient. The point is that he acted upon an assumption which he cannot prove, and I take it you deny. Well. Fine, I'll take the case. It's imperative that I meet with Oliver Allerud before we proceed any further so that I can massage the kinks out of our testimony. Do you really think we could put all this across? The truth is so self-evident to me, Mrs. Donnelly, that I'm sure that I'll be able to make it equally as transparent to any jury, should your husband decide to take it that far. We'll need to caucus again to draw up a picture of your husband's net worth, a map of enemy territory, so to speak. You said that he's a television producer? He has a soap opera, The Sands of Time. It's a silly show. Well, it'll be yours soon. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. thank you, yeah. Mr. Massey. Bye-bye. Like spins a whole yarn that it's basically his fault and she's has no fault here she doesn't even really like interject on the story she's just like uh, okay and he's like perfect so with all that said he does his usual magic and gets her uh gets her a, a huge settlement or a huge judgment that gets jeffrey rush penniless now at the yep. same time uh we get to learn more about the character of george clooney and his kind of sidekick right-wing man Wrigley where they're His talking associate. during <laughs> they're talking Wrigley during, rules associates for Wrigley God they, bless uh, that man they're talking just like during a court like can tell they just don't give a shit about what's going on you think at first and then all of a sudden as soon as George Clooney's called on he's just like oh yeah here we go and he just pulls out his questioning and just tears her apart but we learn that he's basically a guy he has no sort of sense of accomplishment or fulfillment in life he's like i've redone my house i have so much money i just i don't know what to do i i have no idea like what to do to fulfill my life so um i was like this is a cool exposition but uh that judge would definitely get angry at this attorney here um but it was a, a very cool like cohen type of dialogue that i really liked oh yeah there. just like two minutes of them fast talking about sex toys and yeah. uh and what the fuck's wrong with you? You don't need sex toys. Uh, no, no, no. I just do this. Like, do something normal. Jesus Christ. And that, like, just like in that rapid fire pace. And it, you know, it pervades the whole movie and it keeps moving. It really helps it pace it along. Like, that's the, like the Coen Brothers, man. Like, only a few of their movies don't have that. Yeah. Like, No yeah. Country for Old Men, for example. Like, uh, it's definitely slower there. But. So then we meet Rex Rex Roth, who is just peeling around drunk, which my I, man, choo choo, <laughs> my man, my man, my man has a locomotive fetish. And you know what? Uh, more power to you, King. Like <laughs> this podcast, for the most part, doesn't kink shame. Uh, 
you know what, he, he loved something as a kid. And, uh, you know, whereas most of us dropped, you know, trains or dinosaurs or baseball cards, he, uh, he brought it into the bedroom as an adult. So respect, respect, respect. Uh, he's just peeling around uh, the LA Hills. I wrote down in my notes, if I were to only know LA from the movies, I would think that there's just never traffic in LA because every movie that's always filmed, it's people driving on a road that just no other cars are on. And I know that's the exact opposite of what LA is. Yeah. But... Kind of rather known for their traffic. Matter of factly. Uh, yeah. So he, he drives to a shady motel. He gets tailed by Cedric, the entertainer, uh, who's Gus patch, Gus uh, patch, bitch. He, he bursts in on him and he's like, I'm going to get your ass is like what he just says. Over I'm going to bust your ass. I'm going to bust your ass. Uh, he, uh, he gives the tape over and uh, the, his Rex's wife, Marilyn played in this movie by Catherine Zeta Jones, our other lead Woo. who's basically just like we've learned. She's just, she's a predator. Like she hired or marries men for their money. At least that's her goal with Rex. Uh, so she files for divorce. She wants basically half. Rex comes to George Clooney and he's like, I I don't have any money to pay right now. All my money is tied up in developing mini malls. And I was like, ooh, this dude, just wait a couple of years. He's already going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know. He's going to cash out at the right time, I think. Like, I don't know. It, I mean, we learn later he doesn't have the best foresight. Uh, he doesn't have good judgment when it comes to human beings, but I, I, he's clearly uh, built himself quite the, uh, you know, quite the treasure chest uh, in terms of building stuff that no one really needed. Sure. <laughs> like, go for uh, it. He's also a, another very big that dude, uh, Ed, Ed Herman. Like he's another guy that I see in a ton of movies. And I'm always like, I know that guy. I think uh, he's most known for being the dad in Richie Rich. <laughs> I think I'm going to call it on that. Uh, we then get into, I think what we might be able to say is the first like true, uh, negotiation that we've ever seen for the movies that we've talked about on this pod. Yeah, it's like a very call. true, like lawyers negotiation. Ready. <clears throat> Ready Bender. This is Rex Rex Ross. And you are the lovely Marilyn. Please, Miss Rex Ross. And you must be Miss DeMassey. Please, Miles. Sit, sit down. Oh, Freddie, I was sorry to hear about the Goldberger Award. Pastry? <laughs> we did very well. We did very well. Not to worry, Mrs. Rexroth. You're ably represented. I'm sure Freddie's just too modest to tell you he used to clerk for Clarence Thomas. Pastry? Going begging. D don't, don't try to bait me, Miles. Now, if you have a proposal to make, let's hear it. Well, at this point, my client is still prepared to consider reconciliation. My client's ruled that out. My client is prepared to entertain an amicable dissolution of the marriage without prejudice. That's a fart in a stiff wind. My client proposes a 30-day cooling-off period. My client feels sufficiently dispassionate. My client asks that you not initiate proceedings pending his setting certain affairs in order. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so goddamn funny? Please, let me handle this. All right, so much for the icebreakers. What are you after, Freddy? My client is prepared to settle for 50% of the marital assets. <clears throat> Why only 50, Freddy? Why not 100? 
While we're dreaming, why not 150? Are you familiar with Kirshner? Kirshner does not apply. Bring this to trial. We'll see if Kirshner applies. What's Kirshner? Please, let me handle this. Kirshner was in Kentucky. Kirshner was in Kentucky? Kirshner was in Kentucky. All right, Freddie, forget Kirshner. What's your bottom line? Primary residence, 30% of remaining assets. What are you, nuts? Have you forgotten Kirshner? Freddie, it's a negotiation. See you at the preliminary. Freddie, we're all friends here. It's a negotiation. Hey, Freddie. Uh, Fine, we'll eat the pastry. I thought that went well. I think actually, if I remember in like my evidence class or one of them, we watched this scene uh, as like a uh, illustration of like everything that's said here stays here sort of thing. Because mm -hmm. I mean, they're just like insulting each other. There's whippy things back and forth. Uh, Richard Jenkins is just awesome in this. I love Richard Jenkins. No, I won't have a Danish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they... They nothing really happens. There's nothing from it. Uh, George Clooney then goes to meet with her after, which I was like, okay, this. I know this dude isn't really the most ethical, but like that could be really bad for your client here. But whatever, uh, or for you as a career, uh, when you know an opposing party has counsel, you are not allowed to talk to them as an attorney for the other opposing party. You have to go through their attorney to have a conversation, or in this case, a romantic extravagant dinner with a 1954 french bordeaux um yeah that could uh that could get you in trouble that could uh lead to some issues uh then we get to the actual trial and uh catherine zeta jones has is doing some really good just like well, hold acting. on before well hold, I, I know i know what you're talking about so uh, he we get to the uh, we get to the scene where she's talking about you know, I loved him. I never expected this to happen. But before that, George Clooney has hired Cedric the Entertainer to break into her place and find her address book to see whatever kind of dirt he can find on her or contacts or whatever it may be. So after they get through the video that um, Gus Patch found busting, Gus Patch! which is funny that like Gus Patch is just like, uh, purely a hired mercenary here. He's like, yeah, I busted the guy. Now I'm getting dirt on the woman. Whoever pays the most, baby. Uh, he respect the hustle. He, uh, she's like doing a whole emotional breakdown. But then George Clooney calls in the puffy Kraus von Espy. Now, Baron, where were we? She said that she required a husband. Oh, do you want some bones? Does Elzbita want some bones? Has anyone any bones? Hard, crunchy bones right. for the... Now, a husband. That's an unusual request. Did she specify what kind of a husband she was looking for? Objection. Grounds? Uh, hearsay. Not secondhand, Your Honor. This is direct testimony about the Baron's own conversation. I'm going to allow it. She said yeah. she wanted a very rich husband. She wanted to know the businesses and the wealths, the wealths, can I say this? Wealths of our various eligible guests. And did she have any other specifications? Objection, Your Honor, inflammatory. What's good for the gander, Your Honor? Is this a legal argument, what's good for the gander? You got to play your tape, Freddie. Mr. Messi has a point there. I'm going to allow it. Were there any other specifications? 
She specificated a silly man. Objection, Your Honor. I'm going to allow She specificated a man who, though clever at making money, would be easily duped and controlled. Objection, Your Honor. Shut up, Freddy. She's allowing it. She specificated a man with a wandering peepee. How you say? A philander whose affairs would be transparent to the world. Objection, Your Finally, Honor. Finally, a man whom she could herself brazenly cuckold. Until such time as she might choose to, uh, we would say, fair and coup de marteau sur the face, you would say, make hammer on his fanny. Your Honor, objection! I irrelevant! I'm going to allow it! Tell us, Baron, did you introduce her to such a man? Sir, I am the concierge. And to whom did you introduce that calculating woman? I introduced her to that silly man. Your Honor, objection! Let the record show that the Baron has identified Rex Rexroth as the silly man. I did it. It was I. I introduced her to that silly man. You son of a bitch! Transfers everyone. I introduced them. Absolutely. I did it. It was I. I just love trains. I love trains. You Objection, Your Honor! Strangling the witness! I'm going to allow it. And he is a hotel concierge in Switzerland, and he testifies that Marilyn told him specifically to find a rich, dumb man that she could marry and easily divorce. And he's like, I pointed her out to that guy right there, points to Rex, and so... Nothing really you can say here. So the divorce gets granted and she gets nothing. Mm -hmm. Not a dime. Uh, there's a little scene right in the middle where Marilyn then meets with Jeffrey Rush, the guy we saw at the beginning. And he's like completely homeless. All he has is his daytime, whatever it is, soap opera Emmy. And she's like, hey, do you want to make some money? And we don't really learn what that is until later throughout at the very end of the movie. But she then shows back up to uh, Miles' office with her new fiance, played by Billy Bob Thornton, Howard D. Boyle, who is an oil like billionaire, I think. Marilyn, what a pl Who the hell are you? Hello, Miles. So nice of you to see us. May I introduce Howard D. Doyle of Doyle Oil? I'm goddamn pleased to meet you. Marilyn here, she says you're the best. Says you're aces. Well, thank you, Mr. Uh, uh, any, any relation to John D. Doyle of Doyle Oil? Oh, you must be talking about Grandpa John. My pop is John D. too, the deuce we called him. You know, kind of the rebel of the family. But they knocked off that whole John D. routine when they christened little old yours truly here. Grandpa nearly had a stroke. <laughs> he did have a stroke, but that was later during Labor Activity 52. The government stepped in. Mm -hmm. uh, they called it mediation. <laughs> well, he called it incipient communism, you know, and of course that's when he had his stroke. But mm -hmm. Golly, the whole left side of his body is useless as tits on a boar hog. He lingered in a vegetative state well, for years. Well, that is fascinating, Mr. Doyle. What say we have a seat? Seat? <laughs> yeah, Marilyn's had me running up down Rodeo Drive all day long, <laughs> kind of hit-and-run shopping, oh. you know, take no prisoners, force march kind of thing, and my God, my dogs are barking. We started out at this little old place right off of Wilshire it's there. It's been quite a day. pewter things. But anyway, Miles, I know you're busy and you charge by the hour, so I'll get straight to the point. How are D and I? I'm planning to marry. 
Well, I suppose that congratulations are in order. Well, thank you, Miles. You know, the urge to wedlock and form a lasting monogamous bond, sanctified by ritual, it's pretty near universal. As a matter of fact, it might be of some interest to you, being in a related business. Even you indigenous Americans, uh, I believe it was your Cree, used to How slip off in the wigawak. here, and... because I've learned through bitter experience that when it comes to matrimony and law, you are the very best. And as you are well aware, my previous marriage ended in an unjustified stain upon my reputation. My motives were impugned. I was slandered in court. I was painted a harlot. Oh, honey, you ain't no harlot. Oh, yes, honey. So it's my desire to remove any trace of suspicion from the mind of my dear Howard Doyle. Oh, honey, come on now. I wish to execute a prenuptial agreement. And I'm dead set against it. I mean, just anti the whole deal. Howard's so. lawyers prefer it. I insist upon it. Oh, damn lawyers. Uh, no offense to the present company or anything. You know. Now, is it my understanding that the Massey prenup has never been penetrated? That is correct. Not to blow my own horn, but they devote an entire semester to it at Harvard Law. Now, they got a hell of a school up there. Ain't no doubt about it. We donated that Doyle building up there here a while back. Mm -hmm. Now, I myself went to Texas A&M. I'm an Aggie. <laughs> Business? Tidy. Yeah, and if I could just... just... I think we should all just appreciate Billy Bob Thornton. Like, <laughs> love he probably, Billy Bob Thornton. He God, probably I had, him. I think this is peak Billy Bob Thornton era too, mid-aughts. Like, this was probably like, yeah, when he was in his like dating Angelina Jolie, playing yeah, in a band like, and like. It, it hadn't gotten sad or weird yet, even <laughs> though it was always weird, if we're being honest. Uh, and God, well, first of all, uh, I don't think it's been noted here, but you know, obviously George Clooney has a significant Jones for Catherine yes. Zeta-Jones' character. It is uncomfortable, even at the negotiation, like just all of the, uh, the eyes being made. But anyhow, Billy Bob Thornton comes in there in a fucking, you know, he, he's got that bolo tie and the white, like, Oh, got a white suit with a big old white hat. Uh, and then he goes into his days as playing a wide receiver at Texas A&M, which he said, I was just yeah. like, he said he was a tight end. And I was like five foot nine, 165 pounds soaking wet. Billy Bob Thornton was a tight end at Texas A&M. I was like, that well, should be a tip off for you there, George Clooney. Well, I don't know. He's old enough where things may have not been integrated yet at that point <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> the southwest conference i think that's actually plausible now a rich kid being good at sports however i like <laughs> then again then again uh johnny manzel uh like his family was this close to being oil like barons yeah but they went they went bust you know he came from a line of that so who's to say also how's johnny manzel doing these days yeah yeah uh so maryland yeah. insists on that they sign uh, what we've already learned at this point is the Massey prenup, which is this prenup that George Clooney's character has come up with is apparently just impenetrable. Like you will get nothing. You only get from the marriage what you came in with. Anything earned during marriage, you will not get. So it's which is which is a hilarious concept, but it's this isn't the like the simulation in Star Trek, the Maru challenge or whatever, yeah. where you're meant to lose is like my man it's a contract like i mean you can put in pretty simple terms like you don't get anything like it's not that hard i, I find it funny that he got his name on it but that's just like a legal quibble uh, i've never come across a legal document that's known as a you know this is the the 
Jones motion, or this is the, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is the Johnson uh, motion in limine. It's like, no, like, like, fuck off. Like, no, no attorney's ever had that kind of graft, but go on. Yeah. So <clears throat> he like corners her in the hallway and he's like, you really want to do this? And then he just kisses her, which I was like, and she says, like, I could have you disbarred. And I was like, yeah, she definitely could. She definitely could. <laughs> yes. Uh, she, they, he actually gets invited to the wedding, which I thought was kind of weird too, but whatever. I think she like also kind of likes him too. There's like a, a mutual like respect for like how terrible they both are. Sure. And, which the Cohen brothers are really good at that kind of thing. Very but good at also, that. Who doesn't invite their attorneys to their wedding? <laughs> I mean, uh, who worked on their prenup? Come on. Uh, uh, that's romance, you ask me. So they go um, they, they go to the wedding, and Howard, as a mark of love, tears up and eats the prenup. Be like, I, Which, I, I, is that binding, Joe? <sighs> Was it the original document? I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, it looks like the original. So, like, like, so, like, if you, like, did that to a will, right? Like, like, it, it's, you know, like, sort of, like, wills and estates 101, like, one way to, like, undo a will is to, like, tear it up or set Destroy it on it. fire in front of people, okay? I think he's I got enough witnesses there. He like does have witnesses, but technically, and this will come in later, technically, that's a dual, that's a bilateral contract. There are two yeah, people yeah. signed to that. And he's the only one who showed consent to destroying it. We technically didn't see her like ratify that whatsoever. She just kind of smiled. I mean, like, I guess it's constructive, but moving on. God, this <laughs> yeah. is, this that, is the, okay. My, my, my legal nerd brain was just going hardcore. I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, so, Cohen brothers. Yeah. 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 Which like, you know, far for me to call out the Cohen brothers on some of their movie writing, but so they, uh, he, since he's such a accomplished lawyer, he gets invited to Vegas for the firm to do the keynote address to divorce lawyers. He sees Marilyn there. She is like, got these dogs. She's like already divorced Billy Bob. She's presumably very, very wealthy because that prenup was, uh, voided. And, he uh she admits that she just she doesn't know what to do she doesn't have any purpose now because she's so wealthy she's lonely and so miles uh this is over the phone she's crying and miles just like all right no talking let's just go get married right now so they go to the uh, the little vegas chapel put on some kilts uh wrigley loses it during the wedding wrigley's just balling and he'd already lost it at the earlier wedding i love wrigley actually that may have been my favorite line of dialogue where they're sitting at the wedding to Billy Bob Thornton and Wrigley is just like just a bubbling pile of goo. And George Clooney just looks at him and goes, uh, essentially just like, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> like, it's just like best line of the movie. So yeah, they, uh, he signs uh, the Massey prenup right there, but she's like, no, this, we actually love each other. So she tears it up, which you get into the same consideration there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then completely like changed man goes to the convention and just throws away his speech. And he's like, forget divorce law. I'm going to do pro bono work. And love is the only important thing. And he gets like a standing ovation. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And I was a like, reluctant one, a reluctant yeah. one. People are like, yeah, I, I could see myself being in that crowd and like 
when he's halfway back away across the uh, convention center being like, God, this guy is such an asshole. But then once everyone else starts kind of slow clapping and be like, you know what? Good for him. I'm in. Uh, so yeah, they, uh, they get back just like in the casino and he, Wrigley's like, wait a minute. And they look at the TV and they realize that Billy Bob Thornton is not an oil billionaire. He's actually a soap opera actor accompanied on screen by Bruce Campbell was the other <laughs> doctor on there. I wrote in my note, I'm like, oh fuck, that's Bruce Campbell. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they realized that Marilyn completely tricked him and he's like, fuck. Uh, you guys didn't do the messy prenup, so now she can get everything in your estate, and he's obviously extremely rich. Uh, he is, like, desperate, so he goes to the firm's boss, who we've met already before, Herb Meyerson, who's, like, the old patriarch of the firm, and he's kind of the reason that George Clooney wants to get married, I think, a little bit, because he's like this old man who's like never done anything but work at the firm. He shows up early in the morning, leaves late at night. He's like Darth Vader, but without the armor and the cool shit. Like, he's just plugged to machines, helping him breathe and like, like defecate. It's, it's unsettling. Which this actor is another continuation of our Sopranos connections because this actor is Carm's dad. Holy shit. Yeah, okay. that's, that's Carm's dad. He doesn't uh, look too good. No, <laughs> no, he does. I think, because this is Tom Aldridge, this movie released in 03. He did pass away in 2011, okay. so he was pretty close to the end of his, uh, end of his life. Joe, interrupting, uh, do you realize you've got some music running over everything right now? No. So yeah, played by Carm's dad, Tom Aldridge, he suggests hiring hitman wheezy joe to kill Marilyn. there's a really funny and just like perfect coen brothers scene where they're like trying to be like trying to just say can you kill this person but they're like our client would appreciate uh very much like and uh really want this person to not continue being alive and they're like so, so you want to you want who do you want me to kill and there's like, well, we don't, we're not saying that. We're not saying that. Like, not us, not us. Uh, not client. us, not us, our client, not us, not Mr. Smith, our client, Mr. Smith. Uh, so very funny. Um, but in, uh, they hire him, they go back home to, I think to Wrigley's to sleep because she has uh, filed for divorce and kicked Miles out of the house, actually. And yeah, no, no, he's kind of living the sad bastard on the couch life at Wrigley's, which if I'm Wrigley, I'm like, can I bill for this shit? Like, <laughs> honestly, I got a partner like drinking himself asleep and eating like takeout just on my living room couch. Like, mm. so but. he learns that Rex has died without ever changing his will, which, like, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't have foresight because it's been like, a good amount of time since he passed or since they divorced uh he died he dies doing what he loves jumping on a bed with like five different girls going choo choo to his train fetish i mean that's uh i mean if that's what his bag is i can't think of a better way to go out oh yeah I, absolutely I, I mean 
and also I love how they played it off as he died during a business meeting, uh, <laughs> which is also like just, I mean, he got the best of both worlds there. It's yes. Good. So basically he's just like, wait, she's rich, way richer than I am now. So I'm not at risk anymore. They're like, oh shit. So they rush over to his house. Wheezy Joe has already encountered Marilyn and she said, whoever sent me to kill you, I'll pay you double. And so now they uh, are, they, they encounter Wheezy Joe. They're like, hey, sorry, you can just go home. And he's like, no, I'm going to kill you now. There's a big, huge sort of uh, just funny like fight back and forth. Since he's Wheezy Joe, he confuses his gun with his inhaler shoots himself through the head when he goes to take a puff out of his inhaler dead uh i think prayers out for wheezy joe man uh we then see richard jenkins back as her lawyer which i'm like does he know about all this stuff that's happened in between like her like lying to him with billy bob and all that stuff whatever uh but he does a very like lawyer answer he's like as best as i can see someone broke into your house uh, all of a sudden had a change of heart and with a very sad soul took their own life. But that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss the divorce. <laughs> and they, Amazing. yeah, they uh, go to negotiate it. George Clooney is still just like, no, I love you. And so he wants to get a second chance. He's like, look, I'll even sign the prenup. So what you have from Rex is yours. And she Tears realizes that she loves him too. I think basically like we kind of said, because they both realize that they're shitty people and they deserve each other. <laughs> and they're both super hot. They're not going to find yeah, much yeah, hotter. That's true. Like, like uh, they're not going to find much hotter than what they're looking at. So, so she tears it up. Um, they are happy. They're together. Wrigley balls again when they start kissing. Uh, and then she also tells him the, we get a call back to, when she met with Jeffrey Rush, she's like, yeah, the way I got him to hire Billy Bob Thornton, go along with my plan is I gave him an idea for a show, which I think she said she even got like a producer credit or percentage on, uh, which we find out is America's funniest divorce videos with good old Gus Patch as the Gus host. Gus Patch! Bust his ass <laughs> or nail his ass. I forget. Whatever it, it is. Just, yeah. yeah. Just amazing. Don't sleep on Cedric the Entertainer, man. Dude, uh, uh, he's got mileage. It's and that, that is the end of the movie. It's a very tight 100 minutes. So tight. It moves so fast. It, it may be one of the tightest uh, Coen Brothers movies I've ever seen. It's so slick. Uh, so, yeah, and I think we already pointed out some of like the legal points throughout in terms of like yeah! tearing it up. And I mean, I think with any legal movie, like if you made it to the T what the legal points are, it's going to it's going to probably suck. Like it's going to be boring. And oh so yeah. Cause you, wait, you're telling me that the legal process doesn't naturally <laughs> lend itself to good storytelling. Shit, man. Uh. Yeah. So I, I don't hold any of that against the Cohen brothers. Cause I thought this was really fun. Um, so moving past that in a, we just also talked about how it's a tight movie. Uh, our, the motion to strike. Do you have anything that you wanted? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Go ahead. Floor is yours. Yeah, even though this is a Coen Brothers movie and they love doing dark shit and then putting a little bow on it at the end, I don't want them getting married again. <laughs> I don't like that at all. I think there's a better way. Okay, this is uh, 
this is one of the more like unreasonable like sort of angles to take in complaining about a movie like you can complain about oh you know like the editing like some scenes were too long things like this yeah. i'm like i'm complaining about major plot points that were in this case the most major plot point i.e the resolution and i think it sucks i think it's stupid i think it's inconsistent i could think there'd be a funnier way to do this i think there was a market or studio pressure of like well we've got to like let people be happy when they get out of there you know because like this movie is not your standard rom-com it's dark you know so like for folks i mean if the coen brothers had their way i think they would have come up with a more fucked up way to do this or i think it would have been like they got married and then they end up getting divorced again sort of thing yeah or uh you know, maybe, uh, you know, some character in the background from earlier that we forget about. Can't be Wheezy Joe. He's dead. And uh, can't be Rex because he's dead. But someone does like there's a seed planted early on that they may go crazy and True. like uh, like try and exact some revenge or steal something or like they were getting conned all along by like Wrigley, like something like I, I don't I gotcha. know. Like it was just sort of like a like a brilliant satirical like to like tour and then sort of like oh these really shitty people get together which you know like fine like within the context of this movie like i'm not saying it's a bad ending i'm just saying like this movie could have been better that, that's... i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you yeah i can i can i can uh sympathize with that i i i liked it and i too i do see what you're saying though about like kind of like a hollywood ending um so before we get into our final scores, we can do our last segment that we do on every movie. What kind of person would uh, this character be in law school? Uh, I wrote down three because I don't know any other ones to write down. So if you have any others, feel free to add them in. But the first one, the biggest one, obviously, Miles Massey, played by George Clooney. What do you think they would be like? Okay, so Miles Massey, first of all, uh, it strikes me that he is an Ivy League law school guy just because yeah. of his uh, connections of getting published, though, like, you don't hear too much about Ivy League uh, law school types becoming killers in, like, divorce law. But you know, then again, like, we're in the flyover states. We're, you know, uh, we're cut off. Uh, but so, you know, he's an Ivy Leaguer. And I think, you know, he's obviously bright. He's clever but he was by no means ever a true believer in anything. You no, know? like, no, no, no. Like he saw his classes and he saw the law, whatever area it was as something to be bested, to be manipulated if necessary and to get the best he could out of it. So, you know, he's probably finished well in his class, not top tier because he wasn't a, just a brutal psychopath with academics, but cause he knew how to have fun too. And he realized relationships were more important than grades, which is uh, to an extent true. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part. Like, I think he would be, like you said, like a like an Ivy League or like a really top school, like maybe like a Stanford or Cal guy out there in California. Sure, um, I could see that. But I do think that he's like a guy that like, he, like you said, prioritizes like the actual like guts and like how you get things done over like the books and stuff. And I think he would be like the guy who's like very charming and everyone wants to be his friend, um, but he's very opportunist at the same time. And that's why I think he would be the guy like 
yeah, if he would have tried, he probably could have been some like huge academic uh, or huge voice in like constitutional law. But he's like, no, I'll make more money in divorce law. So I'm yeah, going to well, do that. Academics aren't allowed to look as good as he does, <laughs> which, and listen, like, look, uh, nowhere. So like George Clooney, yeah, he's sexiest man alive, like three times running for People Magazine or whatever. Good for him. Like, and like respect to the man on that. But nowhere does his charisma or charm come off more than in Coen Brothers movies, which is funny because he's always dialing it up in a certain way to actually uh, be ridiculed. Like, you know, the difference between Danny Ocean and Ocean's Eleven and George Clooney in this movie is like a degree of super self-awareness and like he's parodying himself in this he does it again in uh oh fucking gordo uh he does it again in like hail caesar where he plays a 1950s like studio star like like super alpha and handsome and like the man's man uh, and you know slick but also just kind of an idiot and that's why i love george clooney's because oh he's he awesome. such he has such depth he knows exactly what he's doing yeah it's just like it's also kind of like maddening because it's like you're that good looking and you're that charming and you're that funny like what the hell man yeah bet he sucks at bowling <laughs> uh so getting into his sidekick wrigley what do you think about wrigley, wrigley? uh <laughs> wrigley is a man after my own heart my friend, that dude hustled. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. that dude, that dude grinded. And then he took the best, you know, s- salary offer that he could out of what I would, pr- I'm guessing he came from a pretty prestigious law school too, expecting to do like some more high minded shit and finds himself over the years working more and more with this family law guy who's just like playing it fast and loose. And he just has to be there to clean up after him and file his motions for him. Uh, yeah, no, but in law school, Wrigley was uh, always very stressed, always very, <laughs> yeah. always very nervous, uh, sweet and, you know, inoffensive, but, you know, also not exactly like, oh, yeah, let's go hang out with Wrigley. No one wanted to hang out with him. Like, like yeah, no, no he's he's the extremely type A law student, like everything is planned, everything is like noted out. Uh, but I, I agree. I think he was like very idealistic. And then he slowly like became the associate to George Clooney's character. And, and then he like, hired a fucking hitman. Yeah, and he's like slowly getting, getting more and more corrupted and corrupted. So uh yeah, I, I agree with that. And then our last one, um, unless you have any more, Freddie Bender played by Richard Jenkins. Oh, I love Richard Jenkins as an attorney. He's <laughs> so good at it. Uh God, I, I would love to work for Richard Jenkins as an attorney. Like he would be, he, he would be harsh at times, but you would know that there's a point to it and you would trust in it. Uh, and also he'd probably like spring for scotch, like, and it'd be pretty fun. Maybe take you on his boat. Uh, I'd say he would be your quintessential overachiever alpha, like your golden boy, just be like, I'm the best at this. I can do this. And then he comes out. And he's so good that he can land in a job where he can kind of stick to those ethics and just keep it going. You know? Yeah. I, I agree to an extent. I think he's definitely oh. kind of like an old school guy, but Richard Jenkins is so good at his roles and kind of playing like, like a dumb successful guy. And I think there's a little bit of that here where it's like, 
yeah, he, he's really successful, but like some common sense or like, just like sort of like sales know-how, he just kind of doesn't have it. And I think you see that a couple of times where he's just like, what are we doing here? Can we just continue with the negotiation or like in the court when he's like objection? I don't know. That sucks. Can I just object to it? Like, <laughs> like stuff like that, where I think he'd just be like, he's a very successful guy, but at the same time, like you could ask him a question and he'd give you an answer and it's like something not legal. And you'd be like, what? And so I think he's like the dumb likable guy who you think is no, dumb. No, 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 no. I'm no. saying you think he's dumb when you meet him in like a social setting. And then you're like, no, that guy's actually like, top of his class or whatever like very yeah. smart sort of guy wheels are turning even when he comes off as kind of uh of a doofus for lack of exactly. a word yeah he's just like kind of... this even when he comes off as a for, as a doofus it's, it's that's the role he needs to play in that situation as an attorney and for his client and the other attorneys like granted i mean i would love a spin-off movie about his practice and, <laughs> and where he came from i would uh, love to see more richard jenkins screen time Come and think of it, has Richard Jenkins ever been like the main vehicle, like driving anything? I can't think of it. He he has for one movie um that I know particular. Uh I believe it was called The Visitor. Hold on, let me look it up. Oh, Jesus. He, it was the it one terrible. The Visitor, yes, 2007. And I know that because he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor for that role. And that movie I did watch, it's, it's very good. I would suggest that there's nothing legal in it. I would never come up in this podcast, but very good movie. Um, and he's a, he's a Midwest guy. He's from DeKalb. He went to Illinois Wesleyan. Like he's a full, full hearted, good old Midwest boy. Yeah. Right on, right on. Well, we'll have him. We'll have him. <laughs> Need to get uh, him on the pod. Yeah, exactly. That that's, that's our new campaign. Um, Okay, so moving into our last segment, does this movie pass the bar? Our score is from zero to one hundred. Spencer, I will let you take this one first. Ah, uh, yeah, no, no, like, uh, fuck, like, honestly, like, this is one of the more enjoyable Coen Brothers movies I've ever seen. Just because it is so artificially tight, it, it limits itself. It's I gotcha. like, I gotcha. we're just going to tell a quick story uh, with like a funny conceit or two and just do it uh i mean it's not one of their best by any means but like it's one of it, it's one of the more digestible let me put it that way uh but yeah i'll give it uh on the law like i really liked some of the legal elements that it did delve into and some of the culture so uh all told i'm gonna give it a mm, 82 no 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 uh, 84 84 okay uh perfect perfect so uh for myself uh i this easily for me passed the bar like you mentioned very enjoyable um tight movie that's just it's a good um cohen's type snappy dialogue uh, interesting characters that they always have not to the extent that you see in some of their other movies but still just a really good light-hearted fun movie um, I came in just a little bit lower. I gave it an 81. Um, All right. And, but I, overall, I thought it was awesome. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I had a lot of fun. Um, I'd, uh, uh, I should have said this earlier, but I'd never seen this Coen Brothers movie. It's weird because when you look at like the other movies that the Coen Brothers have done, you're like, this doesn't seem to fit. But then well, like in terms of like what you think this movie is, and then you watch it and you hear how they talk, and you're like, Oh, yeah, this is a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you like, like, uh, like, best way to describe it is you like, 
say you're at the Cineplex back in 2000, what was this, 2003, Jesus. 2003, uh, Like you're walking by and you're seeing all the posters on the side and like you're looking at this like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then you see like, you know, George Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones and like they're in suits and like a wedding dress or something and like looking at each other kind of like crosswise. It's like intolerable cruelty and then a, like a pithy line about divorce, like never being final or something like that. And you're like, oh, so it's a rom-com fuck that like that looks weak like like I like literally like, then, their poster so i just looked it up says a romantic comedy with bite so you would immediately look at that and be like that's gonna be a dumb rom-com i don't care yeah absolutely it was like i mean like like Catherine zeta jones did a lot of bad movies like this <laughs> uh i think there was the one chef movie that comes to mind where i'm just like oh, god no i'm not doing that uh but no this is good and this is in keeping too like like a lot of people think of the Coen brothers as like dark or serious mm-hmm. directors. And they have a number of those movies. Like, I mean, shit, like, I mean, like, like I referenced earlier, no country for old men or like Miller's crossing Fargo. Like these are Oscar winning movies. And for good reason, they're perfect. Uh, uh, well, in varying degrees, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, most of their movies are dark comedies. Yeah, I mean, you and look at just, like they, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You look amazing. at The Big Lebowski. You look at amazing. Even Fargo, you could say, is like a dark oh. comedy at times. Yeah, uh, Raising Arizona. That's the next like, one. One of my favorite movies of all time, Raising Arizona. Like, God, that movie's so funny. It, like, they, they, it, and their humor is, it, it's really character based, but they're, they do a really good job of using characters to illustrate the deficiencies of what we all do or take as granted just as a social norm or as a bureaucratic or business function. Like, oh, well, that's what you do. And like, Hail Caesar isn't their best work, but it does do a good job of delving into Hollywood a little bit. Like, it's really fun, but. Yeah, so, I mean, I I would say, at least for me, final thoughts were definitely, if you have the time, watch this movie. It's tight, it's fun. It's got good dialogue. It's got good characters. It's got good direction. Everything about it is a lot of fun. Uh, it's on Hulu. So, I mean, if you have that, it's easy to watch. Commercials, uh, though. Yeah. You had commercials? Maybe, I don't know. I still use my parents' accounts. Maybe they got for some better account. I don't know. Uh, the uh, But, yeah, any final thoughts from you, Spencer? Yes. So, here's the thing. Now, Joe, this is going to be editable uh i'm about to go into a little tirade but yeah joe i mean like at the risk of being a legal nerd and sorry listeners most of you are already so just fucking deal with it uh you know the conceit is is that you know uh our beloved man george clooney you know he falls in love with her they get this you know ironclad prenup uh that she just tears up in front of him on their essentially their wedding bed uh and then like everything's good like all right like we trust each other we love each other everything's good she's got her own money i've got my own money we're all fine problem is that decision even though he consented arguably by like further penetrating her or whatever happened after that oh god uh, oh damn. okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me rephrase it even though he consented with that by uh you know oh no we're keeping that in oh people are gonna hear that ah god damn it well my point is though is that like he was uh you know i mean he was targeted in a ruse in that situation 
Okay. She, okay. No, no, no. I see no, you're no, getting okay. very, okay. very technical. No, no, no. Okay. All right. Con- contracts. Con- okay. So, so. Okay. Uh, Let me just sit back. Yeah, uh, okay. Okay. So the Massey prenup is a contract like any other uh, con- basic contract law applies to prenuptial contracts or postnuptials for that matter. Uh, contracts uh, usually, you know, 98% of the time, whatever it says, that's what it is. You're fucked. All right. And most of the fight is about squeezing your circumstances into the very finite words and phrases within a contract. However, there's a limited set of circumstances where a contract may be voided or eradicated for a number of different reasons. One is, is the classic like, oh, well, this contract is void for public policy. You know, the classic example is, well, you can't contract with someone, like you can't sell someone a house so long as they won't sell it to a, you know, a person of color, like explicitly. I mean, obviously that's how housing went in St. Louis for about 110 years, but like you technically can't do that. Uh, but then there are other instances where contracts will be voided. One is a key one, which is a contract void for fraud. Now, Joe, let's dial it back here. Our man uh, comes back across Catherine Zeta-Jones walking a very fancy dog, believed to be a millionaire, if not billionaire now, after having after having received a windfall are you, from, you, keep, from, you keep going uh, for the audience. I'm going to rock a piss while you're doing this. Okay. After voiding a prenup with this purported billionaire whose wedding George Clooney even attended. He bare witness to this you know, declaratory act of love, thereby eradicating any prenuptials, thereby entitling her to all this money, when in fact that was a ruse and it's demonstrable. Okay? There's any number of ways to prove that this was a sham marriage he can just simply testify i believed she married a billionaire i believe she received all this money i therefore believed when she tore up this contract that she was self-sufficient but here we are now i'm just talking to myself like an asshole oh there you are with your piss am i back are you you done with your nerd stuff yet yeah you should probably just cut all that yeah (laughs) it's pretty bad uh sorry about that everyone uh but no like like sorry the, the plot twist though truly though would not hold up in contra law. a decent attorney like him would show up and be like oh no i was defrauded on all this this but he you know, loves her yeah it doesn't matter it was still a fraud the fraud like per the fraud gave birth to the love like it, it enabled the love like that, that's it's it, yeah. See, so they deserve each other absolutely absolutely all right, well, uh, I think final thoughts still are from us. Uh, go see it, uh, even if you are going to have a big nerd boner like Spencer did. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> um, but uh, from Spencer and myself, remember, never talk to the cops, never go to law school, and none of this is legal advice. This is correct. Because
for his fifth birthday And he thinks C-U-S-T-O-G-Y Spells fun for play I spell out all the hurting words And turn my head when I speak Cause I can't spell the way this hurt That's dripping down my cheek 